Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Yeah, you'll need a jacket if you're going out tonight. It's a little uh, chilly out there. I'm Scoot on the air. It is a Friday, January the 5th. Uh, still wishing everybody a happy new year, beginning of 2024. And again, I think this year sounds so um, so futuristic. It's, it's 2024. I mean, even though we've we've even though we've evolved to this point year by year, getting here it just seems like 2024 just seems so futuristic, especially when you think back on what you might have thought of this year. Um, I don't know long time ago. Uh, I'm glad you're with us on this uh, Friday afternoon. It's, it's free for all Friday. We've uh, kind of had a, a bit of a serious discussion in the first part of the show, but it happens. You know, the show's not scripted and we kind of sometimes go where the show goes. Um, former President Donald Trump uh, put something on Truth Social, his uh, social media site. And what he did was he, he uh, posted a satirical version of Paul Harvey's famous So God Made a Farmer except that instead of the farmer, he used himself as the subject. And the text uh, from the video is this. And on June 14th, 1946, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So God gave us Trump. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before noon, fix this country, work a day, Fight the, the Marxists, eat supper, then go to the Oval Office and stay past midnight and a meeting with heads of state. So God made Trump. Now, joking or not, Trump wants you to think that God made him. And there are people, there are MAGA supporters. I'm sure not all of them, but there are MAGA supporters who believe that, that God sent Trump to save the country. And, yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm i not so sure about that, but I know that there are people who, uh, who do believe that. Hey, let me mention very quickly that the uh, Thibodeau Police Department has uh, released a statement, and this is about the dog that was shot Christmas Day. I think you've heard this in, in our news. Um, detectives determined that the actions of the officer uh, were, were reasonable, and they also were congruent with Thibodeau City ordinances, Louisiana state laws, and the Thibodeau Police Department policy and procedure. So the investigation found that the officer was bitten three times before uh, trying to, to get the dog away. Or as he was trying to get the dog away, he was bitten three times, um, trying to use a pepper spray and then finally shooting the dog. It started on the morning of Christmas, uh, 2023, about uh, 10.30 in the morning. A Thibodeau police officer uh, came upon a number of cars, and they were blocking traffic on a street in, in Thibodeau. The bystanders and the motorists were trying to corral a loose dog. The dog, unprovoked, then charged toward the officer, at which time it bit and latched onto the officer's lower buttocks area. The dog then bit the officer on each of his calves, uh, before getting away. It came back in the direction of the officer, and the officer then began to uh, backpedal, uh, trying to create distance. Uh, as the dog circled around the officer, the officer uh, was in fear, and anyway, he shot the dog, and the dog uh, the dog died. Now, I saw the video. 
I don't know if that description goes exactly with the video, but I'll leave it at this. They did the investigation, unless there's new information that comes out. I'm not sure. I'm not positive that this goes along with the scenario of what I see in in the video. But, you know, we can leave it at this. If a dog bites an officer and the dog starts charging the officer, you know, it's a shame. But the officer has to do his job, his or her job. And they, you know, would have to shoot the dog to not only defend themselves, but if a dog is willing to bite you, what if that dog, what if the police officer did nothing and then the dog went and and bit other people? You know, the officer would be blamed for not shooting the dog. So kind of a no-win situation for for everybody involved. All right, so um, this ex-Kentucky clerk, she worked for the the state of uh, Kentucky. Uh, She was a county clerk, Kim Davis, and she refused to issue a marriage license to a gay couple. This was in 2015. Uh, she's now facing a payment of more than $360,000. This is according to a, a federal court ruling. A U.S. district judge in the Eastern District of Kentucky has ruled that Kim Davis uh, must pay $206,084.70 in fees and expenses to attorneys who represented the same-sex couple. The judgment also includes $100,000 in damages that a jury said she should pay the gay couple. 50000 for each person. The federal judge ruled that their constitutional rights were violated. I remember when this happened. This was uh, not long after the Supreme Court ruled that a ban on same-sex marriage is unconstitutional. And you remember those arguments. I mean, you remember how controversial that was. You know, we talked about that a lot on the show because when it comes to equal rights, we talk about equal rights on, on this show. And for for this for this county clerk to refuse to do her job because of her religious beliefs, um, that's unacceptable. And I, I think she was ultimately fired. I don't remember. I think she was ultimately um, fired. In any event, I don't know. She, you know. she doesn't look like the kind of a person that would have this, this kind of money. Maybe she does. I, I'm, I'm, I'm judging superficially uh, based on just, you know, what I perceive when I, I, I see her in, in video and in pictures. But three hundred sixty thousand dollars is a is is a lot of money. I I hope this gay couple gets what's coming to them, and I hope they find a way to make Kim Kim Davis pay. And and the arrest of Kim Davis and this judgment against Kim Davis should set an example that you know if you're asked to do a job, you do your job regardless of your religious beliefs. I mean, there are things that Muslims could do in the workplace based on their religion that would um, cause an interruption in service. An interruption in, in, in production. And so while every workplace should be respectful of everybody's religious beliefs and practices, there are some things that, regardless of your religion, you have to do those things if you're in a job that requires you to do certain things. So anyway, I'm glad that uh, Kim Davis uh, got busted for this, and I'm, I hope that she does uh, uh, have to pay. Tontron is our WWL multimedia multimedia journalist, and he joins us now with uh, another uh, topic for uh, a podcast. Uh, Ton, welcome to the show, and uh, tell us about your podcast this week. Scoot, happy new year! And the reason that this podcast is circulating or revolving around the topic that it is, is this is the time of year that people tend to make change in their life or at least say that they will and that can come into the form of a new year's resolution and sometimes those resolutions often call for cutting back or reducing some type of vice and that could be in the form of cutting out alcohol and i spoke with a homicide detective for the nopd 
who made that choice three years ago to go cold turkey because of an incident in her life. And I thought that if people are considering making a similar change in their life, they should kind of hear a story from a person who made that decision and see what life was like before they went sober and what was life like after they went sober. Yeah, and, and I Tom, think you know, it, it, I, think, I think it's great to get energy from, from these people because I know that there are people who um, have drinking and drug problems and they, they know they're addicted. They might not want to admit it, but they know deep down inside they are addicted. And uh, they, they're, they're afraid. They're afraid of what happens when they lose their friend. I mean, the, the alcohol, the drugs, it's a bad friend, but it's still a friend, something that's been in, consistent in your life for a long time. And I think a lot of people are afraid and they don't know what to expect if they got rid of this thing that's been part of them for so long. You know, you bring up a really good point, Scoot, and that's an element of the, the podcast and an aspect of Maggie Darling's life that we talk about. She grew up in New Orleans and alcohol was very much an accepted part of the culture here. I mean, you got to admit that celebration is part of the landscape. And if celebration is part of the landscape in New Orleans, which it is, uh, that often means drinks and hands and uh, a free-for-all for celebrations. But as you mentioned, you know, alcohol can be a friend and uh, it can be a crutch. But Maggie also said that, look, it's something that's so accepted and so almost expected that if you don't drink, you might lose that social aspect of your life. And she called it almost mm-hmm. a social death sentence because not only is the alcohol a friend, uh, but you might lose your friends because sometimes people, as, as she mentioned, right. look at you sideways if you don't drink. They you know, do. The saying goes, yeah, they, they say, you know, I can't trust a guy that doesn't drink. <laughs> she felt that. And she felt that that pressure when she stopped drinking. Um, but that's some, that's just, you know, one aspect of the podcast. And it's, it's a fairly complicated situation that got her into the point of sobriety. But, you know, she she's living a better life. Yeah. You know, Elton John talked about being afraid to quit drinking. And uh, I think it's been over 20 years for, for Elton John now, clean and, and sober. And, and I've talked about Nikki Six of Motley Crue. Uh, I mean, here's a guy who, who uh, drank and did drugs. And I mean, he was a he was a mess. And 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 people like that just talk about how great their life is today. And I don't hear people say, man, I, I used to love it when I was drinking and, and doing drugs. It's, you know, my life sucks now. It was so much better back then. I don't ever hear anybody say that. No, and, and you won't hear Maggie say that because, you know, what, what she says is, that, you know, look, at, at some point it, it was a very enjoyable life. She thought that she could handle the drinking that she enjoyed. Um, but that was because she was surrounded by a lot of folks who were doing the same thing. But if she was honest with herself, and she was, uh, there was an incident that forced her to make a decision to go cold turkey. And she says, if you have to and if you want to make a change in your life, you also have to kind of look deeper, not just cut out the physical you know, consumption of alcohol, but start looking at the core reasons of why you started drinking or kept yeah. drinking. Yeah. She says it's not enough just to stop the physical part of consumption, but really work on yourself. And for her, she said it was a lack of confidence. Um, which yeah. some people might find surprising because she's a homicide detective for the NOPD, which often calls for a lot of confidence. Yeah, it, it, it's it's true. But lack of confidence is uh, a reason a lot of people do drink because it it, it brings them out of their shell. And I, look, I have had people very close to me and in, in my family who uh, have, have dealt with that. And um, the, the closest person to me dealt with a situation in his work environment where it was a big drinking crowd and he doesn't drink. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of um, subtly ostracized and not included in, in, in some things uh, with big management because he wasn't on a drinker. 
You know, and Maggie brings that up. She says, you know, especially in New Orleans, business deals, friendships, you know, um, yeah. kind of sponsorships sometimes are brokered through drinks, um, having a yeah. meeting for dinner and, and, you know, deals are made through drinks. But, you know, I, I think it's interesting because if you look at the dynamics socially sometimes, if somebody's kind of partying and going too hard or fall down drunk, we don't really say or we don't really question. It's like, wow, like, why are they drinking so much or why are they so out of control? But if somebody doesn't drink at a party, mm-hmm. you're asking, why aren't they drinking? But, you know, the the, the inverse sometimes is actually just the, the strangest aspect that if somebody's not drinking, you think that there's something wrong with them. But if somebody's, you know, falling down drunk, yeah. they're just having a good time and yep. it's socially accepted. Very, you know, very. I I, that, I've had that happen yeah. to me. I've had that happen to me where mm-hmm. I'm in a, a drinking situation. And if I'm driving, I'm not going to drink. And, 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 and mm-hmm. people do, you know, it's almost like, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you drinking? And there's nothing wrong yeah. with me. Yeah, for Maggie, she says, "Look, it, it, she she couldn't she couldn't drink moderately, you know." And she said that you know she had to accept the fact that she was an alcoholic at, at a certain right. point, um, which takes a lot of a lot of courage uh, to face that you have a problem. And she said that she wanted to step forward to kind of sh- put a face on a problem that is fairly normal, but yeah. because people have these issues of really being honest with themselves and understanding that they have a problem. Um, they often don't confront what they have to face. Tom, this is going to be a, a very inspirational podcast for a lot of people. And if uh, if anybody listening is um, just maybe having their own uh, private uh, debate over this or issue with this or they're going through the process of you know thinking that they need to make a decision, um, I, I would suggest listen to this podcast because there's going to be a lot of emotional support for you and um, a, 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 I guess some... A, 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 an invitation to a new path. Yeah, for sure. And, and I, you know, to be clear, you know, Ma- Maggie Darling is, and she'll say it, she's like, she's a, a very alpha person. Um, she doesn't take any crap from anybody, and, but she certainly doesn't preach about sobriety. She's very much a live and let live type of person. But I think if anybody out there is debating or considering changing something in their life when it comes to alcohol or drugs, you may want to listen to this because I think Maggie offers a, a good yeah. set of guidelines and really just a, a good example of how it's it's not a straight line you know you, sometimes you get to a certain point um, but it, it may take you a few a few years a few tries um, it took Maggie a long time to get to where she is but she says that she's in the best shape of her life and she's also at the best point in her life and she's very much the the most honest version of herself which I think none of us um, can complain about that when it comes to who we are sure Tom tell us where we can find the podcast uh, they can find the, the Tan Report, and I'll spell you my name. It's it's not a common one. It's T-H-A-N-H. It's the Tan Report. They can find it anywhere they get their podcast. That's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the podcast platforms. The story is also on the WWL Radio website. They can click on the story there, and there's a link to listen to it there as well. All right, Tan, great job. You do a great job with these. Uh, you're an award-winning uh, journalist now with uh, with WWL, and, and we appreciate you having us, um, having you with us on, on the station. Uh, good luck with the Todd Report, and we'll uh, direct people in that direction. Have a great weekend, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Scoot. Thank you. All right. On the Scoot on the Air rock culture calendar, I, I, I learned something that just really surprised me. I mean, I did not know this. And when I tell you this, I was doing a little research for the, uh, the calendar uh, last night, and I found out something that, I, I mean, I didn't know. Did you know that Bruce Springsteen wrote only one song that went to number one? 
And it wasn't a song that he did. It was a song that he wrote that somebody else did, another band did. I mean, the song Dancing in the Dark, great mass appeal hit, only hit number two. Hungry Heart, Bruce Springsteen, number five. Born to Run, number eight. Born in the USA, only reached number nine. Tenth Avenue Freezeout only made it to number 83 on the top 100 chart. Glory Days, number five. This is the day in 1973. At the age of 23, Bruce Springsteen released his first album, Greetings from Ashbury Park, New Jersey. And on that album, he did a song called Blinded by the Light. Bruce Springsteen didn't have a hit with it. It hit number one for a group called Manfred Mann. And here's the Manfred Mann version of the Bruce Springsteen song, the only number one song Bruce Springsteen ever wrote. I have been so shocked by this revelation. I mean, if you would have told me, that, ah, I bet Bruce Springsteen had a bunch of number one hits, but this was the only one. And by the way, if you're a Bruce Springsteen fan or if you, you like music uh, movies, di- documentaries, I recommend the movie Blinded by the Light. That's the title of the movie, Blinded by the Light. It's based on a true story about a Middle Eastern student living in London. And the music of Bruce Springsteen spoke to him in just an incredible way. And it's just a, it's a very charming, feel-good movie about somebody who was just inspired by music. It's called Blinded by the Light. I'm Scoot. It's Free for All Friday. And we'll be back on WWL. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It is the weekend, short week because of the New Year's holiday on Monday. I'm Scoot on the air. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2024, and uh, glad you're with us this afternoon. So there's some rain on the way. You might be in it now, but it's on the way for New Orleans this afternoon into tonight. But uh, then it's going to go away, and then uh, even some more severe rain on Monday. All right, um, it's uh, the first week of of, uh, the new year, first week of the new year, 2024. What was the first number one hit? of the 80s. On this day in 1980, um, uh, the song that hit number one was declared the first number one song of the 80s. It really doesn't seem like an 80s song at all, but we're going to play it going into the next break. Let's go uptown to Stephen. Stephen, you're on WWL. Happy New Year. Hey, Stephen. Hey, hey, no, I'm Stephen. You're Stephen. That's okay. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> good. Hey, happy New Year's, good. Same to you. I kind of hate to get this part of your um, show off on, you know, a serious note or a non-playful note, but I just wanted to say um, I was over at some friend's house a few weeks ago, and I sat down, and they had Fox News going. And I said to them, you know, this is going to make you uh, not happy, using another expression, but um, – you know that's not really news, and they got all upset about it. And why were you? Why would you say that? I said, well, you know, after the last election, uh, yeah, they were sued by Dominion voting machines, and there was a lot of testimony done in dep- depositions, including Rupert Murdoch, who said that he changed the news 
because they were losing uh, uh, viewers to some of the other more, shall we say, more conservative TV stations. Right. Or and that, was an, that was an admission that they based their presentation uh, of the news not on what is important, but what they believe the audience wants to, to see and hear. Exactly. He said in his deposition, it wasn't blue, meaning Democrat. It wasn't red, meaning Republican. It was green, meaning money. That yeah. was the reason he made the decision. Uh, and as I recall, you may, be, you may correct me on this, but I think Fox was the first station to call the election for Biden. Uh, and so they were not election deniers for the first few weeks afterwards. Once uh, again, once they started hitting their pocketbook, they I changed. I know that their Fox. News. I know Fox News uh, first declared Arizona for Biden. I don't know if they were first to declare the country, but there was a big controversy within the walls of Fox News, and I think somebody actually got fired because yeah. uh, they they declared uh, they declared in Arizona, very very uh, controversial state there for Republicans and Democrats. They declared that uh, Biden had won Arizona, and people just flipped out over that. You're you're exactly correct. Fox News was the yeah. first to call Arizona on election night, and Chris Steyerwalt was the political director. He was fired for yeah. doing that. And then later, um, Pennsylvania got called by the other networks, and then Fox came to it. And then then you have the Four Seasons landscaping press conference and yada, yada. But Fox was right. I mean, they called they called Arizona for Biden. And they were right. And a guy got fired for being right. He got fired for telling the truth, but it was the truth that the audience did not want to hear. So the news is shaped by the audience. I mean, in, in some right. cases, more directly than you might think. Right. So, so uh, you know, you might say, well, that was just one instance. But, you know, one mistake it throws the whole, um, the whole book into um into question, like a historian, he's got to make sure everything in his book is correct, or else if he's if a reader finds one thing wrong, then you sort of doubt everything else that's in that yeah, book. It's true. When uh, journalist, I can't remember the name of the um, anchor on NBC News who was fired because he exaggerated. I think he was he said he was riding in a helicopter in Iraq. Mm -hmm. He really wasn't there. I think that anyway, was uh, he was fired. I think that was Brian was, Williams. That's exactly right. He shows up at eleven o'clock at night a year or two later, and now he's out of broadcasting. Yeah. Uh, well, he, he, he uh, NBC MSNBC hired him to uh, to do a show called The Eleventh Hour for a while. Right. Correct. But um, anyway, that was my comment. Uh, you know, they were furious. We got in this this discussion about what is news. Well, you know, these other networks say this, that, and the other. And my response is, yeah, we can have a discussion about what's news and what's being um, uh, emphasized in other, on all the different stations. But this is irrefutable. And they settled with Dominion, we believe, yeah. in large part, to avoid the spectacle of all their anchors parading on the witness stand saying, yes, we changed the news yeah. so we can have more viewers and make more money. Stephen, I appreciate the call. Anyway. You're, you're, you're right on with that. And uh, to some degree, CNN and MSNBC do the same thing. All right, let's go to, uh, to uh, Ken in Slidell. Hey, Ken, you're on WWL. Happy New Year, Ken. Oh, thank, thank you, Sam, to you. Man, you know, um, WWL is lucky to have you. You have I, every day, I guess, God, I'm 75 years old black man from Slidell, and you give us a lot of information that very interesting things that we never knew about. 
and your concept is a whole new concept for WWL and just, you know, and just that flat-out news. You give us very interesting music history and other type historical things. It's very informative. Your fonts of information, and it's very interesting. I look forward to your show every day, man. WWL is lucky to have you guys. <laughs> well, Ken, uh, you just have so much interesting information. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for listening, Ken. And we, we do it for you. And, and as long as you're going to be there, we're going to continue to do the best job we can. And, you know, I, I, I love doing what I do. And uh, some days it's uh, work. But, you know, for the most part, I love what I do. And um, I, appreciate the, I appreciate the comment. It's your concept is so unique, you know, for just instead of just the news and the little talk. It's very interesting. It is. Uh, I also is enjoy New Normal because he's so well prepared. Yes. And uh, yes. some of the words he used, I don't quite understand. That's why I mind so much. He uses those big words, you know, but that means he's a well educated <laughs> man. And yes, you just, uh, you just, your information is, is, um, is well prepared and well done, and you just give us so much. Uh, you, you, you enlighten us with your information, so thank you very much. All right, Ken, and thank you for being there, and thanks for listening. Okay, let's go to uh, Jimmy and Gretna. Hey, Jimmy, what do you have for us? Hey, Scoot, I'll make it real quick. Uh, three things. Number one, we all got to go check out the Pelicans right now. The tickets yeah. are not cheap anymore, Scoot. They won four in a row, and they're playing tonight. Uh, number two, there's an Iron Maiden and a Def Leppard tribute band tonight at Southport Hall. If anybody's looking for some good live music, uh, features the guitarist of Lillian Axe, Steve Blaze, playing for that Iron Maiden tribute at tonight at Southport Hall. And, and also, I want to ask you a question. I talked to Ian. You know, the New Orleans Comic Con, well, now it's called the Fan Expo. It's this weekend, starting today, tomorrow, into Sunday. Uh, they're going to have all kinds of different people there. Oh, uh, yeah, they will. <laughs> uh, Terminator 2, the whole cast of Terminator 2, Edward Furlong, all those guys are going to be there. A whole bunch of people. you got to go to the website. Are you going to that? And if so, are you going to get dressed up? Yeah, well, no, I'm not going to get dressed up. I have gone before, and I might be able to squeeze it in. I've, I've got a busy weekend, but it's always fun. All right, uh, Jimmy, I'm glad you called the show. All right, if you're on hold, stay with us. If you've got a comment, the Oakland Art Jewelers talking text line is 504-260-1870. All right, so on this day in 1980, the song that hit number one was the first number one song of the 80s. But this song doesn't sound like an 80s song. This was the number one song of the 80s. Casey and the Sunshine Band, Please Don't Go. And I think this really does, once again, support my theory that it isn't until the third or fourth year of the decade that the music that defines that decade really comes in, in, into play, becomes mass appeal. And you look back from, from the Beatles on, and it wasn't until the third or fourth year of the decade that the music that defined that decade became mass appeal. But this doesn't even sound like an 80s song. Anyways, first number one song in 1980. This sucks. It does. I'm Scoot. We'll be back on WWL. Shaka Khan, 70 years old, and she says, I'm not doing a tour. I'll do a few dates, but I'm not doing a tour. She was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame last year, 70 years old this year. Why is she not going to do a tour? She says, because, quote, I got this rich-ass life. At least she's honest. You know, you got a rich-ass life. That touring can be rough.
I'm Scoot on the air. Happy New Year. Glad you're with us. We're heading into the first weekend of 2024. Let's get to uh, some of your calls. Let's go to Folsom. Jack, welcome to the show. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. Just real quick, I was listening to to Tron's uh, thing. It made me think about drinking. I was at a wedding uh, this weekend. I had my one glass of wine. But for many, many years, even when we were active in carnival and uh, going to supper dances uh, every other week, and I found that the best way to avoid people asking you why aren't you drinking is to drink ginger ale and if the bartender doesn't have ginger ale it's simply a seven up and a splash of coke and it looks just like a mixed drink and nobody will uh ask you why you aren't drinking you know last night we had a going away party for our our, our market manager kevin cassidy who sadly is uh, leaving us he's going to be market manager in in chicago and there was a little party for him at uh, desi's desi vegas uh, steakhouse downtown and I was walking around with um, it was half Seven Up and half a uh, half Sprite and half um, um, club soda, with a with a lemon in a cocktail glass. And you know everybody thought I had a drink, and so nobody asked right. any questions. But it wasn't That's anything right. alcoholic. Yeah. I mean, I would. Uh, there was a time when we go to the ball, Mardi Gras ball, supper dance. And, you know, they have setups on the table, and at first I brought a bottle of ginger ale. Well, people at the table started drinking my ginger ale. So next time, the next one we went to, I took a, a, a fifth of liquor, Jack Daniels, whatever, and I filled it with ginger ale. And I put it on the table so nobody would drink it because they thought it was liquor. Well, I drank that whole bottle, and I heard a <laughs> comment at the table, well, look at that guy, he drank that whole bottle. now look there are alternatives and you know as much as we talk about the association between drink and drinks and celebrating and alcohol and partying i also like to uh, you know to talk about those people who are sober and they have beaten alcoholism and they're well i guess you never beat it you're always an alcoholic but you um you you, you don't drink. And, and there are people who, who celebrate and have a great time and, and they don't drink. And I respect those people. And we like to talk to those people as well. And, you know, if you're if you're if you're driving, uh, it's just not it's not worth it to, to drink. I mean, you can go out and have a good time and, and not drink and then have a drink when you get home. And I tell you, if, if you're not drinking and you're around people who are drinking, they provide a lot of really great entertainment. So tomorrow is uh, January 6th. And uh, I just I want to just spend a moment talking about the significance of that day. That happened when we were live on the air. I was sitting here in the studio and we saw it unfolding on our monitors and we talked about it and I could not believe what I was seeing. And look, let's leave politics out of this. Let's leave out who was the president. Let's leave out who was the newly elected president who was about to be certified as president. Let's leave out the politics of of those two individuals and just talk about what happened in America. There were some angry Americans who were told, falsely told, that the election was stolen. There was no credible information. And some of them are so militant that they had weapons on them And their goal was to storm the Capitol and stop the democratic process. Remember, we're leaving politics out of this. That happened in this country. I'm I'm sitting here on the air exercising my right to freedom of speech, which I do 
every day on the air. And I think about what a great country this is, and I see what is happening in my country. An attempt to certify an election was interrupted by angry Americans who were using violence to try to stop that process. That is deplorable. That is not acceptable in in our society. And yet there are some Americans who turn a blind eye to that. And they, they diminish what happened because they support the person who inspired the attempt to stop the process of certifying somebody. The idea that a sitting president would become rogue to the point where his minions would try to physically, violently stop a democratic process in order to remain in office, defying the vote of the American people. This was the scariest thing I'd seen in a long time. In some ways, it was more frightening than 9-11. Of course, more people were killed 9-11. Many more. I'm not diminishing that. And that was scary and horrifying. But just seeing our capital attacked and seeing this process interrupted was a horrible moment in our history. But there are many Americans who see it a completely different way. And they subtly, in their own way, they support the rioters who are trying to stop that process because they agree with the man who lost. They agree with the man who was spreading a false notion that he really won the election. And these people were, 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 were misguided. And they were trying to do what they thought was best for America because th- the election was stolen. And the whole campaign was stop the steal. The irony is the evidence we have now points to the person who was getting people to stop the steal. He was the one who was trying to steal the election. And so I think we're fortunate in this area where we can remember January 6th, but in this part of the country, in this area, January 6th is King's Day. It is the first official day of the Mardi Gras season. And so we can always have that, that positive attitude of, of January the 6th. But don't underestimate how bad that day was. And as history goes on, history is going to shine a brighter and brighter and brighter light on the significance of January the 6th. And, and we'll have to see what happens this year with the election. This year in 2024, we'll have to see what happens with the results. We'll have to see what rumors are, are, are put out there. We'll have to see how people act at this election to determine whether or not that was just a blip on the radar or whether January 6, 2021 represented a trend in America. I hope and pray it was just a blip on the radar. I'm screwed on the air. All right, we've got to talk a little bit about the Saints and the Falcons. And if you're going to be in the Dome, and we'll talk about that uh, coming up, but if you're going to be in the Dome Sunday, make noise. The Saints need to be ready to play. We're going to be ready. As fans, we're going to be ready. So they need to be ready to do their part. 
And they have proven to us, based on the way they played last week, that they can do it. Even without Alvin Kamara, should he not play in the game, the Saints can still do it. We can beat the Falcons. Now, in order to get to the playoffs, a few other things have to happen, but those things could all fall in place. Let's think positively. We'll be back on WWL. Hey, it's the Top Cats. All right, Sunday, huge, huge game. So sad that the season is just about over. In fact, I don't know, man, did you feel lost last night? There was no Thursday night football. Monday night football, Thursday night football, over. It's coming to an end. We need to relish every moment that we have left of football. I'm going to be watching the games this weekend, NFL games, a doubleheader Saturday, a doubleheader on Sunday. I'm going to be watching the, well, I hope to get the Saints game, but I'll, I'll be watching the games after that. And then uh, I think there's a game Sunday night. Anyway, it's, it's, it's coming to an end, and we just hope the Saints are still alive into the playoffs, and they could be. A couple of things have to happen. They could win the division. They could win the wild card spot. They could get there. And with the playoffs, it's one game at a time. Look, for those who want to be snowflakes about my mentioning how I felt January 6th compared to how I felt on 9-11, I'm not comparing the two. I'm simply telling you my opinion of how I felt on those two days. And the fear that I felt on 9-11 is very similar to the fear that I felt on January the 6th. Now, you may feel differently, but that's the way I felt. And I knew how serious January the 6th was. And I knew what was attempting to take place. And that, um, that freaked me out about as much as 9-11. And that says a lot. But I'm not comparing the two. As I said when I was talking about it the first time, of course, many, many, many more people were killed on, uh, on uh, 9-11. But um, the magnitude of what was attempting to be done on January 6th was frightening AF. All right, if you're on hold, stay with us. We'll get to uh, more of your calls and more of your texts are, are coming up. And, you know, a lot of Falcons fans are going to be coming in town this weekend. I just want to remind you, if you have kids, um, you know, you're going to see things. You're going to see Falcons fans holding hands and hugging. And God knows you might see Falcons fans kissing each other in a public setting. We'll also talk about uh, something that is relatively new, uh, conversion therapy. For Falcons fans, does it work? I'm Scoot. We'll be back. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.